0: What is up, everybody? Welcome back to First Sound Rundown. We are your two hosts. I'm Hayden Vozar. He's Matt Vozar. Happy Tuesday to everybody. Today's Tuesday, February first. January flew by. It's already being it's, it's 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 already a fast year so far. And uh, yeah, but it's 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 cool because we are still doing our double uploads per week on Tuesday and Saturday. We're keeping up with that. So, New Year, same us, I guess you could say. So today we've got. NFL two topics for NFL and then we've got actually a tennis topic but it's about the Australian Open and it's about like the greats in tennis so I'm sure all you avid tennis fans out there are happy that we're talking about this but even if you don't really follow tennis I'm sure that you saw the result of the Australian Open this past weekend and um, and you, you guys can probably relate to that so yeah we'll be talking about pretty much just the 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 staple names in tennis in Djokovic Federer and uh, and Nadal and so we're gonna follow that up with the fun segment. Your wrong man of the week this week. So we're gonna continue our segment from, I, th- I guess it was two weeks ago um, that we lasted at your, your wrong man of the week, and we're gonna we're gonna do one today. So stay tuned for that at the end of the episode. Here's Matt. Matt, how are you?
1: Yes, it is uh, New Year, same us. January did fly by, uh, but despite the time flying as fast as it did. The football did not fly by very quickly. Well, I mean, it flew with the flew with the calendar dates, but in terms of just the 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 excitement of the games and and everything that happened, um, you know, was definitely well worth us sitting down and just enjoying football for as many hours as all of us did. Obviously, there was a little bit left to be desired after the first couple of weeks there, because you had you know you had your week eighteen where some teams didn't play all their players and some other teams were just you know, it was the, they're in the middle of the draft order, and they don't really care about winning or losing their last game. Uh, and then you had the the the, uh, the wild card round, which was essentially just a bunch of blowouts. Um, and, and the NFL gods listened after those couple weeks. Uh, the last two weeks have been absolutely insane, and all the results, and all the upsets, and and the close games, and just coming down to the wire for everything. All the storylines to go along with it, the the star players, the coaches, everyone involved. Um, has just been has just been peak NFL, uh, you know, and and it really has proved to everyone that it is the greatest sports product uh, on the earth, whether we like it or not, it is going to persist no matter what. So uh, so, yeah. So so now that that's kind of over with, um, you know, why don't we why don't we just kind of get right into it here?
0: Yeah, for sure. I, too, did enjoy everything about the playoffs so far. And I'm sure the Super Bowl is going to be pretty, pretty wonky because the 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 two teams that we have left in the Super Bowl are both four seeds. The four seed from the AFC and the four seed from the NFC, which is kind of cool, honestly. Like I don't know how many times that's ever happened. Um, but yeah, we've we've got the Bengals and Rams in the Super Bowl. Now, the teams that they beat obviously were the Chiefs and 49ers, and both of those teams blew. Double-digit leads in the, in their respective games, right? So the Chiefs were up. The Chiefs were up by 18 at one point, which is, and they lost that lead, which is so uncharacteristic of uncharacteristic of them. And then the 49ers uh, blew a 10-point lead in the fourth quarter. So, kind of our question here for our first topic is, you know, is there something to be said about the phenomenon of playing with a lead? And and I don't really think that we've seen this much. Um, in, in the past, especially with playoff games, I feel like teams are, are more conservative in the playoffs if they have a lead. And that's kind of, I guess, maybe that's part of the reason why teams, you know, that this year that had a lead um, kind of gave it up is because they play a little bit too conservative. But I'm going to head over to Matt here and kind of, you know, ask this question of, do these teams in, or do teams in these situations where they're, you know, wh- where they're up by a good, 10 or more points, do they simply choke or is it more about the momentum of the other team um, that, you know, the momentum of coming from behind that kind of gives the other team a boost um, and, and, and a better of a chance to defy odds, and you know, to win?
1: So I wanted to address this kind of phenomenon because I think that the word choke gets thrown around a lot, and especially in times where it's not necessarily applicable to what occurred on the field. All right, And so, you, you know, in both of these scenarios, you're going to see people say that the Chiefs choked, right, or the 49ers choked. I, 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 just, I just simply don't buy that. Yes, there are points in time in the game that you can point to and say, you know, these are, these are opportunities that were missed. There's always opportunities that are missed though, right? So even the team that comes back from being down, they're going to miss opportunities. Obviously they were just able to take advantage of the opportunities, more opportunities uh, that, than the team that blew the lead. And so really I, I completely side with the argument of the fact that the momentum of coming from behind is what allows this other team to come back and win. Um I think it's just extremely evident and and I, I understand where the team that has the lead is, is, is coming from. I completely understand because if you are up, you know, especially right. Double digits, like, like was with the case with both of these teams over the weekend, the chiefs and the 49ers, you're going to want to, you know, like kind of run out the clock as much as you can run some conservative plays as Hayden mentioned, but like, Because you are so focused on, especially in the Chiefs case, right, scoring so much so fast, changing the momentum of your own offense in many, many circumstances changes the momentum of the opposing team's mentality when it comes to being able to, you know, really believe that they can make a comeback here. And so I think that that it was just, it was evident in both Teams games. I think more so more so the Chiefs and the 49ers. I think the 49ers, you know, they, they were up by 10 with 10 minutes left, right? And so you think that a team, you know, that runs the ball a lot and has good defense will be able to at least kind of hold the lead. And, and there's not much to say for them really kind of changing their offensive game plan or their defensive game plan very much. I think it was just, you know, they kind of, you know, they I think they got comfortable with being up and 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 you know kind of rely, relying on Jimmy G to, you know, make plays that maybe he otherwise wouldn't have um, in times where they kind of then were realizing like, oh shoot, you know, we, we might actually lose this game. But I think on the chief side, it was very clear right now we have the evidence to point to of the momentum shift in the game, which was clearly at the end of the first half when the chiefs had first and goal on the five yard line and they run, you know, they, they, they run three plays and, and don't score any points out of it. And, and they didn't have any timeouts left. And so, and there's a lot of, at least from right now, what I can hear a lot coming out about how Andy Reid was, you know, he was like, let's run two plays max, but we're going to leave time on the clock for a field goal, and essentially you know, Mahomes went over to him and was like we're not kicking the field goal, give me this one last play, we're going to make it happen, and again if you have Patrick Mahomes, who is, you know arguably still the best quarterback in the league and the most talented arm-wise and and just everything that he can do, right with his arm and his legs, uh, as well as the the multitude of talents that they have on offense, uh, just the versatility that they can show especially around the goal line as we've seen you know replicated throughout the past you know three seasons that there are four seasons that Patrick Mahomes has been with the Chiefs if that guy comes over and tells you that he's gonna he's gonna score a touchdown what are you gonna say to him you know why would you tell him no right I mean this is the same guy who with with 13 seconds left on the clock in the divisional round game when they're staring down defeat you know runs his team down gets a field goal and then ices the game with a touchdown to end it like are you kidding me? So, so if you're coming off a performance like that, and that's the mentality that you have going into this circumstance and he tells you, man, I got this, let me go out there and score a touchdown. You're not going to say no to that. Now, obviously they weren't able to convert on it and you know, Tyreek Hill runs, he didn't run out of bounds and, and, and that was, you know, the, the clock runs out in the first half. And so obviously that is the biggest turning point of the game, because even if you do get a field goal there, you're up three points and you're not even going to overtime. Right. So, um, So obviously everyone's kind of pointing to that as the, as the game, the game turning play. And and in my mind, the rest of the, the whole second half, there's crazy stats. So it's like Mahomes threw three touchdowns in the first half and then two interceptions in the second half and no touchdowns. Right. And then I think it was like the chiefs drives were like, every single drive in the first half was longer than 75 yards. Three of them resulted in touchdowns. And the other one was that one aforementioned drive where they were at the five yard line and just couldn't convert. Right. So all of those, and then, and then the second half, you know, after this great offensive production in the first half, in the second half, I think they had five. The Chiefs had five offensive drives, and they gained 30 total yards or something. It was it was crazy, right? So, so yes, a lot has to be mentioned, and 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 a lot of a lot of praise is to be garnered from the Bengals and, and their defense and just being able to hold Patrick Mahomes to what he did. But it's like they are they were clearly not playing in the same sort of momentous way that they were in the first half, especially those first two drives start the game when they just scored touchdowns on both both times, and so. I think, the, and we've seen this before, where the Chiefs kind of just they get up big and then they kind of let down. It actually happened in the game in the Week Seventeen game they played against the Bengals, right, where they were up by like twenty points at halftime and they end up losing the game. So, so that's that's kind of what I mean by momentum shift. Is I think a more a more reasonable argument, a more logical argument than just saying that a team chokes because there's just so many things that happen and so many moments in time that you can point to to you know that that can help your case in either way. Um, I think you know and, and kind of to mention the 49ers and Rams game a little bit because I haven't really talked too much about that. Right, just you have all those fourth down decisions. You have the, the you have the challenge that Sean McVeigh, You know why would you challenge you know that that play? The guys you know he's use uh, check. Arm was on the ground and he was fumbling the ball, but he was already down, you know, all that stuff. It's like any tie, and obviously the interception miss by Jaquiski Tart, like, yes, that's that is the game ceiling play for sure. Um, but like there's so many things that you can look at in any of these games that you can't just say that one team choked away a lead when you know it, it really comes down to I think taking advantage of opportunities when it meant something, which can change the overall mentality of your team, garner some momentum and then pull you through for the win. So, so that, those are my thoughts on kind of this, you know, choke versus momentum debate. Um, I, I think that, you know, maybe there are circumstances in which a team chokes quote unquote, but it's, but it's not, you know, the team doesn't choke. It's just like, you're just not you're, you're 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 laying down on the opportunities that were, that are presented right in front of you and you're not taking advantage of the opportunities that you do have to continue the momentum and win those games as we said before.
0: Yeah, I think I'm going to go kind of half and half with you here. I'm going to say that the Chiefs that the Chiefs did choke. I there is absolutely no reason why they sh- should have lost that game. I understand your 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 point of momentum shift and how at halftime or the the play before right before halftime was kind of where that momentum shifts happened. And that makes sense. But again, that's half. Like, there's a whole other half that they had of football where they were up by 18. Like, they were up by 18 points to start the second half. Um, I can't remember if if the Bengals got the ball in the second half. But I mean, either way, like, even if they did get the ball and they, you know, I know that it was 21 10 at one point. Um, but it's just like, for the chief, in the Chiefs situation I think that they did choke that that wasn't even really you can have a momentum shift but a moment a momentum shift doesn't really doesn't usually last for a whole half especially when you're playing a team like the Chiefs because the Chiefs are so explosive and one play can result in a touchdown and then give them momentum right back so in my opinion I think the Chiefs game was definitely a choke I don't think that it was really yeah momentum shifted towards the Bengals but like it with playing against the chiefs, it's like, it's really hard to keep momentum. Um, And again, like Patrick Mahomes, best quarterback in the league. You, you can't be, you can't be not saying that that's somehow a choke. In my opinion, Um, the, the, on the other hand, the 49ers and the Rams, I can definitely see how that like argument of the, of the momentum shifts can be, can be brought into play here because like, yeah, it's a 10 point lead in the fourth quarter but a 10 point lead in football, I've, as we've seen is, is pretty much nothing. Um, and you might be saying, okay, well, 10 point lead versus 18 point lead. Um, and yeah, that's kind of what I'm saying is like 18 point lead at halftime is I think a lot harder to do or harder to come back from, especially in, in, a, in a conference championship game than a 10 point lead is um, in the, in the fourth quarter. I know again, 10 point lead in the fourth quarter yeah, that's, that's a two-possession game still, but it's just like it doesn't it, – it makes more sense to, you know, I guess for, for Jimmy Garoppolo to make a mistake and then give the ball back to the Rams than it does for Patrick Mahomes to kind of just sit there on the ball and, and – or not really – I'm not going to blame it all on Patrick Mahomes. For the Chiefs to just sit there on the ball and not really do much with it when they were on offense. Again, Matt said they, they scored on their first three drives – All of them were over 70 yards that like, where did that go? You know, it's it, that shouldn't be, I can understand if you score on your first drive. Okay. Yeah. The defense isn't really ready for what you're giving them, but if the defense isn't ready on the first three drives, then you obviously know that you have something going for you. Um, I, I can't really pinpoint a change in their game plan. So again, I'm, and yeah, I'm not, I mean, I'm not like an analyst of, of game plan and, and, I guess, game play, um, and I, I didn't have the time to sit down and, like, watch the replay of every play and and kind of nitpick, you know, where the Chiefs could have gone right here and there, whatever. But what I did do is, like, I, I think just think, thinking about it from, like, a, a, um, a more, I guess, like, holistic standpoint, it's just not – it doesn't make – it makes more sense for the Rams to come back from a 10-point lead in the fourth quarter rather than the Chiefs to blow an 18-point lead. Um, uh, you know, in the second half, even though it is more time, it's just like, it's based on the team that, that did it, that choked that lead. Um, it just doesn't really make much sense. So, yeah, I mean, that might kind of, you know, covered everything else that I was going to say about this. Um, you know, I, I think playing with a lead, it, like it, it is kind of tough because you, you don't really know what to do. You don't like, if you're a passing, if you're a pass first team, like the chiefs, you don't really know, Okay, should I keep on passing? You know, I I risk throwing an interception, but then again, you have the best quarterback in the league, so it's like no, you shouldn't stop passing. You should just keep with your original game plan and be the Chiefs because if you're if you be the Chiefs, you win the Super Bowl. Like, let's be honest, they have basically the same team from when they won the Super Bowl a couple years ago. So, well,
1: so that's that's one thing that I kind of was going to mention too is like. And this is a classic Andy Reid coaching thing. He, he has been as, as good of an, of an offensive mind as he is. He has been criticized in the past for for kind of bad game management you know, examples where like he'll call timeouts too early in the half and he won't leave any for the end of the, you know, for the end of the half and whatever. And obviously, as we mentioned, if you have Patrick Mahomes, you know, with no timeouts and, and 13 seconds left, you can get a field goal. So sometimes, you know, you can kind of overcome his his bad coaching decisions. But I think one thing that kind of is, is evident in a lot of these playoff games is the run game. And so he is so stuck in his ways about passing all the time, passing all the time. And it has worked, right? Especially, right, again, if you have someone as talented his back from homes, you're going to want to pass as much as you can because that gives you the best chance to win. But when your run game is working, which it was, you saw Jerry McKinn, you know, break through some holes sometimes. You know, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, he hadn't played for the last, like, three games. He came in and was finding some, you know, was, was finding some holes and even getting through the line. And it's like, you know, if you're going to continue to, to, to just have such a pass-first mindset – it's okay but like if it's clearly not really working right we saw a lot of the times in the you know kind of in the beginning of the second half where It just was like Mahomes wasn't really comfortable or he, you know, they were, they were putting two deep safeties over the top and he wasn't really able to find something through that. It's like, just run the ball. And and from a very fundamental level, what do you want to do if you're playing with a lead? You want to run up the clock. And the best way to do that is just run the ball. So they were running the ball well. And I think that's what kind of blew their, their chances in the Super Bowl last year too. Um, Obviously, you know, they got in a hole and then it was kind of, you know, it from there. But, but yeah, I think it was just, it's just Andy Reid's kind of stubbornness when it comes to coaching decisions and making adjustments is really what kind of gets them in these in these situations where all of the blame, I think, or most of the blame because of how great Patrick Mahomes is, a lot of the blame ends up falling on his shoulders when really it's like he's not the one calling the plays, right? He's just trying to execute, execute to the best of his ability. Eric bien and Andy Reid are calling the plays. So I think it's just, I think more of the blame should fall upon them, uh, you know, kind of when it comes to that stuff. So so that's more of what I was saying. And, and crazy side about Andy Reid, too, just before I close this out, um, he this is the fourth, obviously, fourth straight uh, AFC championship game that he's played in or, you know, that he's coached. The Chiefs, too, right? Um, which is crazy, and it's the first time that uh, you know a team in NFL history has had four straight home AFC champion, you know, conference championship games. He also, I, I, forgive me, I don't know the years, but he also took the Eagles when he was the coach for the Eagles for however long. He got to four straight NFC championships with the Eagles and only made one Super Bowl and lost it. And so, you know, we kind of look at the same this way: like he made, you know, he made two Super Bowls out of the four, you know, this time. But it's like, you you know, he's basically played in eight conference championship games, both eight, you know, both four sets of them were, were kind of in a row, but eight conference championship games... Only three Super Bowls out of those eight games, eight, eight chances to go to the Super Bowl. He's only been there three times and he's won one ring. So, so, that's I think kind of where we should start kind of putting the blame on this. I, I know kind of Hayden was, was, was I think, kind of looking for, looking to say that. And that's kind of what I wanted to come out and say, because it's just like, I think his, his coaching style is, is really what brings them down and, and kind of hinders their ability to actually close out these games. Like Hayden was saying, it's tough to play with a lead, but it's like, if you're up by 18 points, that's so hard to blow it, you know? But it's like, Like a lot of this can, can come, I think, come down on his coaching decisions.
0: Yeah. And with a team like the chiefs, I feel like in practice, a lot of times you simulate playing with elite, like that, that should be something that you'd practice, you know, that that should be something that you kind of install into your, into your practice time where you're saying, okay, since we have such a good team and since we have such an explosive offense that can, that can score on our first three drives and go up by 21 points, basically um, that's, that should be something that you that you install into practice because like and maybe they're doing that and they just kind of again they they just kind of i don't really know how else to describe it i'm using this word that i guess you know this topic was kind of um telling us not to use but it's like they they just kind of choke like in in games and i get it's a different situation in game whatever but if you're practicing this and then this is happening in the game, there there's obviously some kind of disconnect. And I'm not, I'm, I I don't think neither of us are, I don't think either of us are saying like Andy Reid should be gone or whatever. Cause no, that's, that's not at all what we're saying because Andy Reid's a great, a great coach at the end of the day. And again, yes, they've made it to super to two Super Bowls and they've won one. So obviously he like, he's not the problem, but I think what we're trying to say is that he, he can, you know, he, he has a tendency to kind of be part of the problem. And I think that's where we need to um, I I think what Matt was saying was good with how a lot of the time people, a lot of the times people kind of look at Patrick Mahomes and say, okay, well, you know, this is all on you, but it's kind of like, no, you should also put some of the blame on Indy Reed because he has something to do with it. Um, And that's, that, that's perfectly fine. Like that. I mean, again, like I've always said, I, you know, Every loss you put you put on the um the quarterback and the head coach and every win you put on the quarterback and the head coach. And that's that's just how it is. Um and so I, I think what we're trying to do is kind of transfer some of this weight off of Patrick Mahomes' shoulders and kind of transfer it onto onto Andy uh, Andy Reed. Again, Andy Reid is a great coach, but that's just you know, that's just how it has to be. Um and, and again, like from from a from a standpoint of um of the of the Rams, Rams and 49ers, I don't really think like yeah, Kyle Shanahan kind of moved away from what they do best towards the end of the game. Um, I think I don't think that Debo Samuel he Debo Samuel like either didn't touch the ball in the fourth quarter or something happened, like where they just didn't they weren't really using him.
1: Yeah, he didn't touch the ball at all in the fourth quarter. And it, yeah,
0: that's that that's a recipe for disaster in itself. Like if you're the 49ers and you're you have a lead, like just put Debo Samuel at running back and snap put him at like wildcat and snap it to him I don't care like he's he's gonna do something good with the ball so yeah that was that's just kind of inexplicable um and that's that's also a part of coaching so there you go that's that's both teams I think we 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 kind of our consensus um our consensus like failure in both of these games I think is is more of the coaching than anything else
1: yep um and so I think another thing too I mean just to kind of I guess kind of, kind of go back to the 49ers and Rams real quick to kind of close that out. Um, It was, it was, I think it was, it was a momentum shift in the sense that the Rams defense just started stepping up uh, or when, well, I think more specifically the Rams offense started stepping up because they had scored seven points, you know, through, whatever like you know 50 minutes of the game or whatever. So uh, you know so that 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 obviously helps when, you know when your offense starts to score points um, because they scored 13 points in the final 10 minutes after scoring 7 points in the first 50 minutes. Uh, and, and the defense did their job right on the back end and just kind of holding holding the 49ers to to what you know to what they to what they weren't able to do obviously. So um so so yeah so I think it was really kind of uh you know it it was kind of I think better coaching I think in the, in the, in the random 49ers game, just kind of just all around. Um, so, yeah. So speaking of coaching though, that's going to be our second NFL topic here and we're going to be focusing on the NFL coaching hires that have occurred so far uh, in, in the league. Right. And so a lot of uh, you know, a lot of has, has kind of come out in the past pretty much the, you know, the past like four or five days with regards to, you know, kind of the teams that had fired their coaches Um you know, interviewing and, and, and deciding and hiring other people. And it's actually, I have a lot to say about pretty much all of these guys. So, um, so just to kind of, you know, just give a, a surface level kind of explanation here um, or, or overview of the coaches who have been hired and, and the teams that have hired them. Uh, the Broncos hired Nathaniel Hackett, who was formerly the offensive coordinator for the Packers. The Giants hired Brian Dayball, which who was formerly the offensive coordinator for the Bills. Uh, the Raiders hired Josh McDaniels, who was formerly the offensive coordinator of the Patriots. And the Bears hired Matt Eberflus, uh, who was formerly the defensive coordinator of the Colts. And so um, these are all you know, teams who, who were looking for head coaches and they, and they got a new head coaches. Um, and so we're just kind of going to talk through each of these hires, kind of what we think about them. You know, the interesting points kind of, you know, going back and forth here. Um, you know, maybe kind of what, what effect we think these coaches will have as well as kind of like what effect the the will happen, you know, kind of to the team that they left. Um, and so I think what, what what we should do kind of here is since there's kind of, you know, there's four got four guys we need to talk about. I think we should kind of each give our thoughts on each one. So like, you know, we'll talk about, you know, talk about the Broncos. I'll talk about the Broncos. Hayden will talk about the Broncos. Then we'll move on, move on to the Giants. Um, and so I'll go ahead and start here with the Broncos. Nathaniel Hackett, obviously close to my heart. He was the offensive coordinator at the Green Bay Packers. But my thing with this is like, How much did Nathaniel Hackett really do, all right? Because you have have situations like the Kansas City Chiefs, aforementioned, where Andy Reid is is a great offensive mind, and he makes all of the offensive decisions. Well, he makes all of the executive decisions regardless, but in terms of, you know, offensive decisions, like going for it, you know, when they could have kicked a field goal at the end of the half or whatever, like he'll make all those decisions. But in Green Bay, Matt LaFleur calls the plays and secondarily, Aaron Rodgers is a, is kind of a, you know, the, the, the default uh, play caller, obviously, kind of at the line of scrimmage and stuff. And so my my thought with this is like, sure, uh, you know, on surface level, this is a good hire because you think, okay, he's the offensive coordinator of a team that, you know, had had the best record in the league. Number one seed in the NFC. Yeah. They had a hiccup in the playoffs, but you know, they can shake that off because clearly he knows what he's doing. The offense was, you know, pr- produced however many points and, and and was great all season. It produced the NFL, largely considered the NFL MVP in Aaron Rodgers. So yeah, it's a great hire, but I'm like, I just think, from the Broncos' perspective, now I, I do agree with the fact they needed an offensive guy because Vic Fangio had been their head coach beforehand, and he was a defensive guy, and their defense has been top ten, you know, for the past ever since he's been there, and their offense has just been extremely lacking. But again, and, and we talked about this when they hired, when they were, sorry, when they fired Vic Fangio, was the fact that like they just don't have a quarterback, and John Elway, who was the most, le- you know, one of the most legendary quarterbacks in NFL history, is responsible for getting them a quarterback. So again, you know, props to them for hiring an offensive guy and kind of realizing where their deficiencies lie. But I don't know that, that Nathaniel Hackett, who didn't, who was the offensive coordinator and didn't even call the offensive plays for a team that was, you know, really good, but didn't even make, get, get, get to, you know, a conference championship game. I don't know how much is that that's going to help you right off the bat, especially when you don't have a hall of fame quarterback like he did in Green Bay.
0: Yeah, I think I, I agree with you here too. And that's, you know, I, I'm glad that you kind of gave that preface of the fact that, Nathaniel Hackett didn't call plays in Green Bay and that you know that, that that's a good point but at the same time I think this may have been one of those kind of like behind the scenes hires where they the Broncos maybe they interviewed him and they saw something really good he like said something really good or what like I don't know maybe, maybe he's maybe there's more to him that we don't really know about especially be, because he's not really really at the forefront of of the green Bay organization, or he wasn't at the forefront of the green Bay organization. Um, And so I think that's kind of where this argument of like, all that we can say is yes, he's, he's an offensive guy and that's what they need. But again, like Matt said, what it comes down to and what we've already said about this on the podcast in an earlier episode is the fact that they need a quarterback and that like, they're not going to fix their problems with a new head coach um, even if he's an offensive mind, even if he, you know, is a former offensive coordinator, they're not going to fix their problems without getting somebody in the draft or somebody in, in free agency. You know, why don't you bring? Like, this is kind of funny because it's 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 almost hinting towards maybe getting Aaron Rodgers. And again, like Aaron Rodgers' guy is Matt Lafleur. That that's who we all think of when we when we think of you know, kind of like who Aaron Rodgers clicks with, right? But. I, I'm sure that Nathaniel Hackett and and, and um, Aaron Rodgers have you know somewhat of a good relationship and and, and Aaron Rodgers like one of his his um, top destination spots is Denver and so like that's you know that's something that could be brewing there maybe they thought okay well if we hire Nathaniel Hackett then maybe Aaron Rodgers will, will want to come here more it's like that's kind of a pretty good you know that, that's a pretty good strategy in my opinion but um, but again like it's it's probably something that happened behind the scenes it probably didn't like it's nothing that sticks out to us but there was probably something that stood out to them in an interview or in you know again like some a quality of him we, that he's worked with Aaron Rodgers before something like that that you know kind of fueled them to hire him
1: yeah, and it's interesting you mentioned the Aaron Rodgers point about him going to Denver because um, it, it, he, he in interviews or whatever, after after Hackett got hired, Aaron Rodgers apparently said that he was, like, his favorite coach, like, of all, anyone on the team, and he was, like, the most energetic guy, and he was, like, one of his favorite people, and so people were like, oh, you, you know, Aaron Rodgers is going to go to Denver, and I'm like – I would – I mean, yeah, they have a good defense and they have weapons, right? They have a lot of good receivers and clearly right. They're just one quarterback away. But it's like the only problem is that division, dude. Like you're really going to go in there with yeah. the Chiefs and, and and you know, and Justin Herbert and the, and the Chargers and even the Raiders who – also have a new head coach now and, you know, and they made the playoffs too this year. So it's like, you know, that that's a lot of competition to just walk into for Aaron Rodgers kind of later in his career. So let's switch over to the New York giants. They hired Brian Dayball, who was the offensive coordinator of the bills uh, and kind of, you know, kind of saw Josh Allen's uh, you know, great leaps and bounds kind of, you know, and his his amazing progression through the past three years here, since he, since he got to Buffalo Um Again, I think it's a more so a similar situation. Now, Brian Dable actually called the plays in Buffalo, so you know it wasn't it wasn't uh, you know Sean McDermott who was who was calling the play the offensive plays, and and, and Dable's been you know obviously praised as, as a great offensive mind in in you know in the sport. But like once again, you like you're going to a team who okay, you know maybe Daniel Jones is. Is is a little bit better than like his. He has a lot more talents to unlock, you know, than than what we've seen so far. And and obviously they've had a lot of coaching turnover, so he hasn't been able to really establish a good relationship with someone. But it's like that's a terrible offensive situation. And, and you have you know you have Saquon Barkley and you have some some weapons at receiver. But I just don't think that it's a very it's a very uh you know fortunous situation. And maybe Brian Dable is like just the quarterback whisper, and he's able to get out of. Daniel Jones what he was able to get out of uh, or, or transform Josh Allen into I think that would be great I just don't know I think the chips are stacked up against him right I, I just I just don't see that being a huge you know uh, or or uh, such a, as immediate of a transfer transformation as Josh Allen was able to because I think Josh Allen's just so athletic and so talented that it's you know it, it might just take him a little bit longer um and, and I do think that this is a big loss for the Bills right so a team that you know could you could argue was the best team in the league you know other than the Chiefs who beat them and 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 the Bills would have been favored to you know win the AFC championship game they would have been favored to win the Super Bowl and so you know losing that offensive coordinator when that was really the biggest strength of their team you know it'll be interesting who they hire and if they're able to kind of keep the same momentum going into next season and really achieve what they're trying to because I think Brian Dable was a really big part of obviously as I said Brian you know Josh Allen's transformation but just kind of I think the you know the stability and the mentality of that team that kept them going going and, and really made them a force in the NFL overall
0: yeah I think kind of what you were alluding to with with the whole it's kind of a similar situation as as Denver is like I think it's even more of a setup for failure for for Brian Dayball and that's just because of the fact that yeah he like you have basically nothing to work with they don't know what they're going to do with Saquon Barkley in the in in the offseason um, you know nope or I, I guess not even really in the offseason like at all, they don't really know what they're going to do with Saquon Barkley altogether, um, and yeah, they they just don't have. I I think I said it in in an earlier episode too. It's like whenever I watch the Giants, I just it it, it looks like they don't play together at all. Like they don't. Um, they I feel like their receivers aren't really in sync together, and th- I mean the receivers are hurt for three quarters of the season anyway, so it doesn't even really matter. Like we're seeing the fourth string guys play more than the first string guys at this point, but. Yeah, I think it's I think it's more of a matter of you just got to get your team together and, and maybe he will kind of build the chemistry on the offense that's that's needed in New York. But I think it's more it, it's going to be kind of sad to see this downfall of Brian Dayball if, if it happens. And I think that's kind of what people expect to happen. Um, and again, I don't know really who is. I, I guess the Bills are kind of suffering more, um, but, you know, being Brian Dayball and, and going for this head coaching job, I get, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a boost in like his career, but again, I, that's, that is the scariest organization to go into. They just hired their new GM too. So like it's, it's, is literally just a clean slate at that point, at this point, it's just kind of like, you're going to go in there and maybe I guess that kind of gives him some leeway to mess up a little bit. Cause it's like, Oh, new GM, new head coach, new everything. We're kind of just, you know, trying to start over this year, you know, wiping, wiping the whole, uh, the whole desktop at this point, we're kind of just starting a new, which makes sense. It's like that, you know, with that in mind, it's, it kind of makes sense. It's like, okay, yeah, he has, he has some room to kind of mess up and he'll probably have a couple of years where, at the beginning, not much was working for him. Um, but maybe after a couple of years, he'll hear, he'll kind of like, he'll kind of, he'll kind of find his way. Um, and hopefully that, hopefully that does happen because again, like he's done such a good job with Josh Allen and that Bill's offense these past couple of years. And so it would, it would really suck to kind of see him, um, to see him fail in, in New York.
1: Yep. And, uh, the third coaching cha- coaching hire, coaching change, same deal, uh, is the Raiders hiring Josh McDaniels away from, who was formerly the offensive coordinator with the Patriots, all those years right I, I didn't look up exactly how long he's been there but at least 10 years and, and he was he was the mind behind you know Brady and, and Randy Moss and and all those great years that Tom Brady you know spent as the Patriots quarterback and and all those Super Bowls that they all won together um and so I think this is you know this is by far my my favorite hire of the offseason so far obviously there's kind of still like you know four or five maybe left here um but, but yeah, I, I don't think anything will really top this. I think this guy is, he's been coaching in the NFL for so long. He's, he's, he's about the, you know, the, the ideal, cause everybody kind of wants to hire Bill Belichick to so uh, disciples, right. You had, you know, Brian, Brian Flores in, in Miami and, and a, and a few others here along the way. Um, Mike Vrabel, Mike Vrabel, another good one. Right. So, um, so, so I, but I think that just Josh gales has been there for so long and he's so good and he knows his stuff. And he's also, you know, in contrast to the other two guys that we just mentioned, he's walking into at least a competent organization and a system that already has a quarterback and a bunch of weapons and a good enough defense, a team that made the playoffs, right? Let's be honest. So, so that's kind of why I think this is a great hire and, and just a really, again, surprising a little bit, um, that Josh McDaniels left because he he had that time where he was the head coach in Denver, went back to the Patriots. He was about to be the head coach in, in Indianapolis when Andrew Luck got there. Um, And he was literally the head coach of the Colts for like three days. And then he just like quit and went back to be the offensive coordinator at the Patriots. And so he's kind of been around ish before, but never really had like the gig all to himself. And I think that clearly like, he, you know, he, he took the opportunity because he knew that he wanted it. Um, and, and and so I think that, you know, having his full confidence will really bring a lot to this organization. And, and just, I think that he's a really solid coach, a really solid guy. And, and, and he's a good, a good coaching hire on a team that, like I already said, has, you know, has a lot of stability already made the playoffs this year, obviously, you know, you could argue they weren't necessarily supposed to be there. Um, but but got there nonetheless, and and Derek Carr has a you know has a has a, a a good amount of years left, and I think that Josh McDaniels can go go in there and coach up that team, uh, really well. I think I think it's a good hire.
0: Yeah, I want to go not so fast here on you, Matt. I think, I think this high. Okay, again, looking at it like from an objective standpoint, from just kind of seeing what he's done in New England so to this point he's done incredible things. Everybody knows that he's, he's a great, he's a really intelligent guy. He knows the game. One of the best offensive minds in all of college. I mean, I mean, in all of um, football period, we know that, but there's, there's been reports of Josh McDaniels, not really being the best like leader or the best people guy. And I think that's, that's kind of what's going to come into question here. And also my, my argument is kind of twofold. So that's the first argument is that, I don't think Josh McDaniels really I don't know if he has what it takes to be a head coach um, just because of what I've heard about his kind of his inability to kind of like be, a you know, a player's coach and, and be there for the players. I think that he again, all the all the stuff that he draws up on paper, I'm sure is like out of this world. And, and we, we've been shown that. But I think another side of him that a lot of people don't really see is that he may not be the best people guy and, and you you need people skills to be a head coach. Um, that's undeniable. And I've, you know, we've, we've definitely seen guys in the past um, kind of fail from that, from not really being able to, to lead in the right way, no matter how intelligent you are, head coach is like a, a, a totally different thing. I was actually, I was talking to AZ about this um, the other day, actually right after the conference championships, we were driving back here to UVA and we were talking about Josh McDaniels being hired and, We said like, you know, if it comes down to Josh McDaniels having to give one of one of the, you know, infamous head coach speeches at halftime, if they're down by, you know, 10, 10 or 13 points or whatever, is he going to be able to do that? Because he he doesn't really have that, um, you know, that that experience in, in leading a team and he doesn't really have he doesn't really have the skills to kind of rally his guys. Now, again, he could totally change when he gets to, when he gets to Las Vegas and kind of flip his demeanor around and, and surprise everybody there. But I th- I think that that's the first reason why this isn't really the best hire. Second reason I think is, um, is, is something that a lot of other people probably feel the same about. And it's that Rich Basaccia and we've said it before, I, I think Rich Basaccia there was no need to fire him. Um, and, you know, like, or th- there was, there was no need to, to do away with him as the interim. I think they should have hired him as their actual head coach, given him a shot because of what uh, because of all he's done this season. Um, you really they really had nothing to lose, is what I'm trying to say. So again, maybe this was the time to to go for Josh McDaniels. And maybe if they had hired Ris for another year and it didn't work out, maybe they wouldn't have been able to get uh Josh McDaniels for whatever reason. And so that's why they went for him this year. But I think I think the best thing to do uh, for the Raiders this year was, was to go with risk Versace because again, he has, he has shown that he can lead his guys, especially from a leadership standpoint that maybe Josh McDaniels suffers from or suffers, you know, in that category. Um, I think that that risk Versace has what Josh McDaniels maybe doesn't have. Maybe he's not the crazy intellectual mind um, that Josh McDaniels is, but I think that he has that leadership skills, or that, that leadership kind of aura um, that's, you know, that works well in a head coach position. Um, And so I, yeah, that's, I think that it's not the greatest hire, but again, like you can't really go wrong when it comes to Josh McDaniels because he's Josh McDaniels. So.
1: Yeah, that's a good, those are valid points. And I, and obviously I don't know Josh McDaniels as a person. So right. If he's not a good, if you know, if he's not a good motivator of men, he won't be good in that locker room. Right. And so that's uh, yeah, that's definitely a point to consider here. Um, last one is Matt Everflus, who was hired as the head coach of the bears. He was formerly the defensive coordinator of the Colts. Um, I don't have much to say here. I don't really know Matt Everflus very much. I haven't really even heard of him honestly uh, before the bears hired him as their head coach. And I don't know. I mean, you know, if I'm just looking at this, you know, very big picture, it's the bears who are, you know, have been, have forever been considered as a defensive powerhouse and, and defensive minded organization from the top bottom uh, top to the bottom and, and never really been able to succeed on offense. And they're just hiring a defensive coordinator as their head coach. Right. So it's, you know, their defenses are probably going to be great. You know, I think it's just going to be the, the bears and the Broncos are just going to be basically synonymous, you know, from here on out where, you know, their, their defenses are great and, and they maybe have top 10 defenses and they're going to, they're going to get some wins against teams that they shouldn't, you know, they'll have some upsets here and there. They may, they may have some exciting games, but you know, if, if they don't make some changes on the offensive end, or at least try to go some, you know, do something to help out Justin Fields. Um, I, I don't, I don't really see this being a, you know, a game changing hire or at least even a hire with very, much hope. Um, hopefully, I'm I, you know I'm proven wrong, and the, and the Bears you know are able to succeed from this. But just not much to say here, and, and I'm, I'm not really sure how much the, it's really going to change the 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 mentality in the in the in the face of this organization as a whole.
0: Yeah, I can't, I'm I'm the same way on this. I don't really know the guy. I never heard of him before he got hired by the Bears, and yeah, I, I, since I don't really know much and I haven't heard much on him, I'm not really going to give much of my input other than yeah, the Colts defense is like pretty good and the Bears' defense is pretty good. And so you hire him and it's kind of like, okay, well, yeah, they're still going to be a defensive team, but like Matt said, it's just like Denver where you need to do something with that offense rather than the defense. And that's why, that's why Denver's hire is better than, than, um, than this hire, right? In my opinion, I really wish that we had an AZ on this episode because he, I bet he knows a lot more about, um, about Matt Ever, Everfloos than we do because he interned with the Colts this past summer. Um, and so obviously he probably, you know, he, he, he probably knows a lot more there, um, but we'll, we'll get him on the, in the future and we'll probably, I'll, I'll make it a point to to ask him about Matt Everfloos because again, that, that would be cool to hear from him um, because I'm sure that he has a lot more input than we do. So, yeah, I mean, if that's kind of what we're going to say about him, I, I feel bad that we're kind of like glossing over him, but it's, it's kind of whatever at this point. Yeah. So yeah, is. if if we're done with NFL, we can move in the, in, into our tennis topic here. And so kind of our, our only topic here is about the Australian Open. Now, if you didn't really watch um Rafael Nadal, he won the whole thing, and um, and so that counted that, that accounted for his 21st major win, which passes or which breaks the tie um between him. Roger Federer and Novak Djokovic so now Nadal isn't completely or is is in first place in in terms of major titles with 21 and then Djokovic and um, and Federer obviously still have 20. And so this was kind of surprising to me because because in my opinion, like I was talking with with my roommate will the other day about tennis um and and we were kind of just going going over our favorite guys and I, I mentioned Roger Federer and we were kind of like yeah he's kind of like the undisputed goat in in um male tennis but it's like Rafael Nadal has now won more majors than him and at the time when we were talking about it you know Nadal, Nadal hadn't won but he I mean he was you know still tied with Federer and and Djokovic and so and maybe because, I mean, Federer has been playing the longest, I think he has. So maybe that's why we, you know, we, we kind of said that, but um, you know, I, I think now at this point, it's, it's fair to assume that like nobody in the near future will come, you know, remotely close to these records of, of having 21 major titles and and even 20 major titles. And so with that being said, you know, who do we think will end up being um you know, the, having the final say with the, with the most major titles, once it's all said and done.
1: I mean, I think that it's probably going to be, it's, it's going to be between Nadal and Djokovic. Um, I think that, so, I, I mean, just to kind of start off here, Nadal is 35, Djokovic is 34. Federer is, this is terrible podcasting, but I'm going to look it up as we speak.
0: Yeah. He's, he's gotta be more than 35. He's like, he's gotta be like almost 40.
1: He is 40. He, yeah. he yes, he he turned 40 in August. So so yeah, so he he's almost at a different generation of tennis than these guys. And obviously Federer had, had won, you know, multitude of majors before these guys even kind of came onto the scene. Um but I think we think about it as kind of three different levels, right? We think about it as Federer is like the 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 oldest, you know, or obviously most experienced kind of you know goat. Uh, then you have you know then you have Rafael Nadal, who's won like every single French Open since its existence. Um, and then you know on the on the clay on the clay courts there. Um, but he's kind of in the next generation, uh, you know, after after Federer and, and started actually you know kind of challenging Federer. He was there, kind of his biggest rival there. Kind of once he he came up, and then you had Djokovic kind of take over for the past like. I don't even know, like almost, you know, almost 10 years at this point um, where he, you know, he's, he's held the record for, you know, the longest time ranked number one and, and all this stuff. And then obviously, you know, at his fair share of majors, as we mentioned, it was just so cool how it ended up being like, as we come into 2022, they all have 20 majors. And I think that, I don't know, I, I just feel like tennis kind of was more popular, more talked about, you know, five, 10 years ago than it is now. Um, and I think that a lot of sports are like that. Honestly, it's just that the NBA and the NFL and and, and college football has just completely, I think just the product is so much bigger and everybody knows about it, that that's just all that's broadcasted really. Um, and so you, you, you know, you hear about it when, you know, when someone wins a major or, or has a, you know, has a, a life-changing achievement, right. a, a, a historically great, you know, feat right Like, you know, kind of setting them the record for most majors in men's singles history, but like, it doesn't really get talked about, you know, much after that. So um, I, I, I think that, I mean, it really is going to depend. I think, right. Like I, like I said, I think Federer is kind of done. Uh, if he's able to win more, that would be great. But I just think that because he's five years older than the other, than these other guys they have a better chance of just kind of duking it out until one of them basically, you know, retires or, 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 or walks off. I just think that, I don't know. I I think Nadal looks older and he has been playing longer, I think. And Djokovic just is so like, he's just built like a, like a, like a, like a dolphin. I don't know. It's like, he's like, he's like tall and long and, and, and just, and, and athletic and stuff. And so I just think that he's, his just, it looks like, it just feels like to me, his body is just built to play longer than the dolls is. And so I think that at the end of the day, Djokovic is going to, is, is going to end up winning more, you know, kind of holding the record for the most major titles um all time. And, and, and the interesting point about this, just, you know, specifically you know, kind of relating to the Australian Open is the whole, you know, where he was denied entry and didn't get the visa and his vaccination status and all that, you know, going into the tournament is like if he had played in this, he probably would have won, right? I mean, you know, Nadal basically had a lucky, very lucky comeback against uh, Medvedev in the, in the final, where he was down 2-0, two sets to nothing, and came back and won three sets, three straight sets, and, and and won the match, and it's like Djokovic wouldn't even been in that position, much less, even if they played each other, he probably would have beaten Nadal, right? So I just think that, you know, it, it, as long as Djokovic, and maybe, you know, because, right, they play Wimbledon, that's in England, and in the French Open, and the US Open, that's probably much, I mean, pretty much everyone's going to require a, a vaccine for him so if if he doesn't get it then you know maybe he's just cementing himself in history as not really going to he's just not going to very win very many more right but but i think that if he gets clear everything cleared up he will probably end up as as kind of the the, the goat of or in terms of you know just winning the most majors and, and being kind of the 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 consensus number one overall i think novak djokovic will eventually take it uh take it home
0: yeah that's actually exactly what i was going to say is basically if djokovic can if if countries continue to require Djokovic to be vaccinated and he continues to not comply with those rules. Obviously he's not, he's never going to catch an doll cause he's not going to play again. Um, but yeah, I mean, if, if he does get that sorted out somehow, you know, with whether that's him getting vaccinated, which again, if he hasn't gotten vaccinated at this point, he probably won't at all in the future. Um, so what whether it's that or kind of the other side of it with countries not mandating in the future you know sometime in the future probably not really in the near future honestly like sometime down the road where you know the pandemic is kind of more behind us than in front of us um which again there's no way to predict that but um yeah I, I think that Matt's Matt kind of hit the nail on the head with with saying that Djokovic will he'll he'll definitely come to kind of you know kind of pass Nadal and Federer um, by, you know, maybe even like a su- substantial margin here, because again, he is not really so much younger than um, f- than, than, than Nadal is. He's a lot y- younger than Federer. But I think we kind of made this point that I, I think this at this point, like Federer is basically retired. Like, I don't think he um, did. He even participate in the in the Australian Open.
1: No, that is a good question. What what? I happened think to he might be hurt or something.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. He, he he's either hurt or like he's kind of in that period where he realizes like, oh, my body isn't ready for multiple tournaments in a row. Then I should just retire. Um, and that's. I think that's probably where he's at at this point. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he kind of officially retires some sometime here soon. Um, speaking of official retirement, Tom Brady did officially retire today, so there's that. Um, so our, our our last episode is valid. <laughs> there you go. But uh, but yeah, so I think that Djokovic is is definitely gonna pass both of them um, if you know if he does get the whole vaccine thing figured out. Um, and that that will be kind of cool to see again. Like Djokovic, people kind of pin Djokovic, Djokovic is called almost like the Aaron Rodgers, uh, Aaron Rodgers of tennis. Like I feel like. A lot of people pin him for being a jerk and kind of just like being super, you know, cocky about everything and like I'm the best, which he has reason to do so because, again, he is the best (laughs) in tennis. So it's like and he's undoubtedly the best, um, you know, kind of overall Um, him, him and Nadal kind of go back and forth in some in some tournaments. And again, like Nadal is super good on clay, so he pretty much always wins the French Open. And it's kind of like one of those things with golf where like certain golfers are really good on certain surfaces. But yeah, like overall, Djokovic is a better, better, better tennis player. And so it'll be kind of disappointing to see um, to see him not, I guess, not play again if the vaccine thing is, is, is held up and he can't really go anywhere um, to play. So that'll be sad if, if that happens. But again, hopefully he'll kind of get that cleared up and, and we'll be able to see him take the lead with 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 majors. Um, and so if if that concludes our tennis segment, we can move on to you're wrong, man.
1: Yeah. And just one more. I know we just we finished up the coaching thing a little bit ago, but uh, one more note on that, which actually is becoming news and probably will be breaking news tomorrow or even tonight. Um, uh, Jim Harbaugh is interviewing with the Vikings and will probably be their next head coach, which like. I don't. I don't know why he was rumored to be going to the Raiders. And like again, as I said with Josh McDaniels, like that's a way better situation. I I just think that. The Vikings are kind of falling apart, and obviously, I mean, Jim Harbaugh is a good, a good coach, proven, right? He, he got to the Super Bowl, um, had however many NFC championships, and, and won a bunch of big games. So, like, he is clearly a proven head coach, right? And, and obviously, did we did with this year with Michigan? Um, we, I think, at the, because we talked about him a lot in the, on the podcast, kind of like crushing him, then praising him, you know, back in the fall when when he was winning a lot of that, you know, a lot of those games with Michigan. I think we can probably even dedicate that kind of a, even a, a full you know kind of explanation deep dive on jim harbaugh to the vikings uh kind of you know maybe 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 on saturday uh you know we'll probably include that as one of just maybe a bunch of random topics um but yeah so those are i don't want to give my full thoughts on that just really interesting that that after the year he had with michigan he's going to go to a team that's like middle of the pack nfc north all right go ahead
0: <laughs> yeah also looking at Jim Harbaugh in purple and yellow. I j- I can't picture that. Like <laughs> like, dude, Jim Harbaugh wearing Vikings colors on the sidelines just doesn't work. The, the
1: purple is right. gonna go perfectly with his with his khaki pants and him just kneeling over with his hands on his knees for the whole game.
0: Yeah, exactly. Looking intently at like, Lord knows what. <laughs> but yeah, that's that would be funny, honestly. If 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 he does get hired here, then um, yeah, that'll be. We'll have. We'll definitely have a lot more to say about that in in a future episode, but moving on to our fun segment of the, of the day here, we've got your wrong man of the week back. Like I said, um, again, if you guys don't know the rules since we've only done it once so far, um, both Matt and I are going to give two your wrong man's and it sounds like, come on, man. It's kind of the same concept where, we just pick uh one like happen event in sports that, that happened within the past week and um and we say where somebody went wrong or or if somebody was done wrong, whatever. So um yeah, so so basically I'm gonna give two of them, Matt's gonna give two of them. We're gonna alternate here. I'm actually gonna let Matt go first. So uh so go ahead with yours, Matt.
1: So my first you're wrong, man, is uh aforementioned Jaquiski Tart um obviously you feel bad for the guy but he is wrong for absolutely botching the easiest game sealing interception of all time and it's only made worse by the fact that if he had made it not only would it have sealed the game it would have sealed the nfc championship and their and cashed their ticket to the super bowl uh so so obviously Jaquiski tart is wrong and he knows he's wrong and he put out a bunch of twitter statements with a bunch of exclamation marks and how he's going to be better and all this stuff and it's like he All right, but you also could have just looked the ball into your head. If you watch the replay, this is the worst part about it. If you watch the replay, he actually closes his eyes when the ball is like, coming into his hands and he like claps and like the ball is like not in his head it's like come on man like you you gotta at least keep your eyes up but i understand the nfl is a fast game and there's a lot happening you're focused on a lot but dude you gotta you gotta open your eyes watch the ball into your hand and just make the catch it was a punt it literally the throw looked like a punt coming right into his arms it's not like you know it's not like he was he was like you know diving on the ground or, or jumping super high like it was it was in the bread basket and he just missed it. So he he is uh he is definitely wrong for that.
0: Yeah, if any of our listeners have ever played Madden, I'm sure that you guys have had like the the occasional um dropped pick and the commentators like are programmed to say like, "Oh, that's why he's playing defense, because he can't catch and he can't play offense." Um and that that was like the first thing that came into mind when when I saw that uh Jaquiski's Joukos- tart. Uh what dude, his first name is so hard to say. Also, dude, why did the commentator say Jaquaski? Like every commentator says Jaquaski and not Jaquit Joukwi- like like I think I think his nickname is Kwaski. Yeah, but maybe. they but they say his name Jakowski. Well, like they it say may, his-
1: it may actually be that because they do a lot of like they like in preparation for those games, especially the big games. They like make it a point to learn the names of all the players yeah. so that they're saying it correctly on the broadcast. So that may be just how it is. And, and it's just spelled with an I instead of an A. Um, yeah, just Jakowski Jakowski part. Um, so so maybe we should just start saying it like that because I feel like those guys are usually right. So I don't know.
0: Yeah, Jakowski fart. That's good. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right. So my my first uh my first you're wrong man of the week is everybody in America, including me, is wrong for doubting the Bengals just one more time. Now I am gonna kind of put this in here. I, I told Matt, I told my whole family basically that I was gonna brag on this podcast about how I said in like the middle of the season that the Bengals had the best chance of making a big run in the playoffs. Roll the clip. I asked the second question and I said, who has a better chance or who has the best chance of making a great run in the playoffs? And I think that's the Bengals because I think we've talked about the Bengals before on this podcast and how we love Joe Burrow and his explosiveness and his chemistry with Jamar chase. They had the best chance of making the, making a big run in the playoffs. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be pretty proud of myself for making that editing, that editing, uh, I guess, move right there. Um, but yeah, I, I was the one that said that the the Bengals would have a, a, the best chance of, of making a big run in the playoffs, kind of like an unlikely team. Um, but when it came playoff time, I was doubting them, um, especially when they you know were playing the Chiefs in the AFC Championship. At, when the Chiefs were at home, I was like, oh yeah, the Chiefs are gonna, definitely going to win this. And so was everybody else in America. And in fact, we were all wrong. So I'm, I'm going to give my you're wrong man of the week too. Literally everybody... Um, including myself for for dying the Bengals because we shouldn't have.
1: My second and final you're wrong man of the week uh, is more just kind of a breaking news that happened today. I, I didn't really know how to phrase it. It's going to sound a little weird, but but it's Caleb Williams transferring it, Okay. The, the fact that Caleb Williams is transferring to USC is wrong. Um, and this is, I mean, this just happened like a few hours ago and, and obviously like we'll talk about it more in depth probably on the Saturday episode. We can just kind of a, have a smattering of sports and topics there associated. But uh, but obviously Caleb Williams the former quarterback of Oklahoma, who essentially took over for Spencer Rattler once, uh, once he kind of you know, was benched because he wasn't that good. Uh, and obviously, as we know, Lincoln Riley was, was hired as the coach new coach of USC. So Caleb Williams, likewise, is essentially just following his old head coach, which is a pretty good move because that coach has produced however many Heisman trophy winner. I think three out of the last four Heisman trophy winners, um, as well as gotten to the playoff, I think three out of the four last years. Um, and so, you know, obviously it may take a, a year or two for, for USC to kind of get back on the map, but, uh, but, but obviously a, a great, it makes sense. It's, it's, it's a good move for for Caleb Williams just to, to follow his coach. And, and, uh, and obviously he's going to be able, he's a true sophomore next year. So it's like he crazily enough has literally three more years left. He's also kind of a local guy. He went to Gonzaga, which is a prep school in, uh, near DC. So, um, you know, so prop to Caleb Williams, but yeah, the, the point of kind of saying this is that it's, it's wrong that he transferred there is because USC is already turning into a, 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 a juggernaut uh, in the PAC 12, which I, I don't know. I have mixed feelings about it. We, we can talk about this more on Saturday, but it's like, I remember when when USC was really, really good, you know, the, the Matt Leiner years and the Reggie Bush years, um, it, but it was kind of nice to have them not be good for a while. Uh, so maybe it'll be nice to see them back, at least the Pac-12 kind of getting some rep- representation here. If obviously Lincoln Riley is able to pull everything together. Again, like I said, I don't think it'll be this year, um, but still we can already see that the, the uh, you know, the, the juggernaut is, is, is building uh, there in Southern California.
0: Alrighty. My second, you're wrong man of the week is Jaden for is Jaden. Ivy is wrong for crushing Ohio state's hopes and dreams um, this past Saturday. So if you guys weren't watching the game, I mean, not Saturday, Sunday. um, If you guys weren't watching the game, it was like, it was right before the NFL game started. Really? I think it was like 12 o'clock on Sunday. um, Purdue was playing Ohio state in college basketball. Now Purdue's number. Well, was number four at the time. And Ohio state, I think was number 16. And so obviously Purdue was, you know, favored to win. I'm pretty sure Purdue, no, Ohio state was at home. No, maybe I I think it was Purdue that was at home. Um, And so, yeah, they were favored to win, obviously home court advantage and being the better team um, in, in terms of ranking. They were favored to win, but Ohio state made this like crate and it was honestly all game. Um, Purdue had like a double digit lead at one point. I think it was like 17 points that they were up by. And then they ended up choking that lead and it came down to the final seconds where it was 78, 78 and Ohio state had tied it up with Purdue. And I think it was like six seconds left. And um, I guess Jade, I haven't really, again, I haven't really been following college basketball that much. And that's what this weekend is for is to start actually watching college football. I mean, college basketball, because there's no football. So that's, that's what this weekend is for, but yeah, I haven't really been, been watching much, but I guess Jaden Ivey is like Purdue's big player um, or big, you know, best like star guard, I guess. And so they, it was like an inbounds pass um, with six seconds left and it was, it was all tied up at 78 and then Jaden Ivey gets the ball and like shoots this fadeaway three, like right in front of his bench. And um, yeah, he just switches it and it was, it was sick. And it, I think it went in with like 0.2 seconds left. And so obviously Ohio state had no chance to, um, to put up a shot after that. So yeah, so Purdue ended up winning 81 to 78 and it was just like, it was, it was such a, such a classic buzzer beater. Um, and kind of just like the way that he did it, he just like let it go and kind of Kept on falling backwards off the fadeaway, and it was it was sick. Um, but yeah, he's Jaden Ivey is definitely wrong for for doing that to Ohio State because again, Ohio State came back from a seventeen point deficit at one point in the first half. So it would have been cool to see Ohio State do that. Um, obviously, you know uh, EJ Liddell he was he was a huge part of that. But I think that the the Jaden Ivey buzzer beater was even cooler. So there you go. Um, but yeah, that, that about wraps up our, our main content of the day, Matt, I'm sure that you have a betting lock of the week, so you can go ahead and, uh that
1: don't um it's tough now because it's like there's you know the lines come out for the football games ahead of time and like that's really where i was able to capitalize a lot was just locking in on one team and and and, and you know getting it down early in the week um and, and now that there's no football it's like it, kind of similar to hayden i haven't really been following college basketball very much and, and you know if we're gonna give it away on the podcast it, give you guys a couple of days to listen i want to do it you know saturday sunday time but obviously you know as hayden said you know I mean, there's, there's no football um and so I think what I'm gonna do, what I'm gonna do is 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 take in all the Super Bowl action that there is, because everybody knows if you've ever game one off the ball before, especially the Super Bowl, you know that the best part of the Super Bowl is not the the spread or the total on the game, it's the player props, it's the it's the fun, it's the national anthem, right? So um, there's there's so much there's so much out there, and I will be diving into all of that. So what I'm gonna do is I'm going to give away two betting locks in a week next week one related to the game and one related to not the game whether it be like the halftime show the you know the 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 national anthem that last year I nailed Demi Lovato to say the word brave in the national anthem for like over five and a half seconds cash all right so we're gonna get we're gonna get one fun prop and we're gonna get one prop related to the game might even be the spread of the total on the game we're not sure but I would like to gloat a little bit because I had the Niners plus three and a half, baby. And they lost by three, but that doesn't matter because the hook means you cover. So we cashed that ticket. We're seven and five on the betting locks. All right, again, just want to reiterate, we started one and four, we're seven and five now. If you would have been a hundred bucks on every single betting lock I gave you so far, including the Hawaii over whatever team I had them over. And and I think it was a Wyoming or something like that. And then, you know, the, the Rutgers over the whoever, way back in like, you know, four months ago, all that considered, you'd be up 150 bucks. You'd have 150 bucks in your pocket. You'd bet hundred bucks on every single game, every single betting lock that I've given you so far. So you want to keep stay tuned for it because we're going to have two next week. As I said, one fun one, one, uh, one game related. And, and and that's that's how we're going to play it because we will actually have a football game, you know, obviously, you know, two weeks, whatever. So, uh, so yeah, so that's how we're going to do the betting locks. And then after the Super Bowl, I'm not really sure, but I'll think of a plan because I still got to get out the betting locks, but there's going to be no football. So we'll figure it out. It'll, it'll, it'll be fine. But yeah, that's an update on the betting locks. Hope you tailed because you're making money. That's all that matters. And, uh, and we'll be back next week. Uh, you know, full strength, full
0: fledged, all go. There you go. Matt's betting like a week We'll be back next week and you guys will get the little double treble. You guys might have to pick which one you wanna you wanna go all in on because uh I don't know if both of them are gonna hit because that's a little uh both
1: of <laughs> them will hit. You give me a week to come up with them. The, and the main reason is because the props and the stuff aren't even out yet. Like that, they haven't even been yeah. posted by the sports books, but uh, you're going to want to tell both because I'm going to be doing all the research and and, and and dive into all the numbers I can to give, to get the best one. Cause they are ones that I will be personally investing my hard earned money in and you will want to do so as well. I can guarantee.
0: Alrighty. There you go. Well, that about wraps it up for the entirety of our, our of our episode. And um, I hope you guys enjoyed our Tuesday episode today. We will be back on Saturday, the 5th. And that, that episode will be pretty fun too, because yeah, it's a weekend without football. We'll kind of be getting into other things. I'm sure we'll have college basketball talk. Um, That's going to be like my main goal. Like I said earlier, is is just to kind of immerse myself in, in college basketball this weekend and then kind of refocus myself for football uh, later on um, I guess two weeks from now. so so yeah that, that'll be cool um, to kind of obviously being away from football for a whole weekend is not cool but it'll be cool to kind of have other sports to focus on. so that'll be that. So yeah, we will uh, we'll, we'll catch you guys on Saturday. it'll be um, it, it'll be another one of our chill episodes as usual and um, yeah super excited to, to do that. you guys have a great rest of the week and we'll catch you guys on Saturday.